You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 34. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Well then, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen, and I'm back with my old friend, Chris, Chris Field. Field. Good to be with you, Guy, and great for our program today. We're really privileged to have a very special guest on the program, and you want to introduce Jim Bob for us? Well, we have Jim Bob Duggar. He's the uh, the father of 19 Kids and Counting. You'll know him from his uh, TV show. Him and Michelle are in Australia, and, and Jim Bob has taken some time out to join us for the show. So welcome to the show, Jim Bob. Oh, glad to be on here with you, and I would tell you, we have just loved being here in Australia and meeting the people here. It's been one of the highlights of our lives. Well, we're really glad to have you here. You've shared with a whole lot of people here in Australia, but we have the privilege of just asking you more personally a bit about your journey because you've ended up with 19 children, and that's pretty rare. Not many people (laughs) sort of uh, notch that one up. And along the way, that must have created all kinds of issues in marriage, in parenting, and just meeting the bills, uh, organizing your lives. So we want to dig into a bit of that tonight, if you don't mind, and just ask you questions, maybe like just how you got started. Is that the sort of direction? Sure. Yeah, yeah, well, let's start with uh, with when you and Michelle got, got married. I've heard the story, but maybe our listeners have or maybe they haven't, of the fact that you didn't intend to have a large family. So tell us about those early years. Yeah, it's really amazing. A lot of people ask us, did you always want to have 19 children? And we say, no. Matter of fact, when we got married, Michelle and I thought we might eventually have one or two, possibly three children. But it really wasn't even something we talked about that much or wasn't even on our radar screen. Uh, matter of fact, when we got married, Michelle went on the birth control pill and she was on that for three years. And then she went off the pill. Uh, we decided to have our first child and uh, we had the first son, and then, uh, you know, we always heard it's best to space your children out, and so she went back on the birth control pill, and then something happened that really changed the course of our lives. Uh, We didn't know, but the birth control pill can also be abortive, and what happened was Michelle was on the pill, and uh, she actually got pregnant while she was on the pill, and the pill caused a miscarriage, and we went and talked to the doctor, and we just were so grieved about this and after we read even the the uh, package there it said that this can happen and uh and we just we just were so uh upset about this that that you know the bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge and uh, i think a lot of people out there maybe use birth control and don't know the side effects Uh, but as we started studying the scripture the scripture says that children are a blessing and a gift from god and uh, and we really hadn't caught that concept before. Can I put a spin on that for you, Jim Bob? It seems that most of us in the Western world just follow the pattern of, of the, the, everyone else. Right. Unless there's some kind of wake-up call. And that miscarriage basically was like a wake-up call for you, if I'm understanding. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, we had talked to a Christian doctor and he said, yes, sometimes you can actually get pregnant and it will cause a miscarriage. And so that's what happened. So uh, here we were trying to do what we could to control of how many children and which time and all this and totally trying to manipulate ourselves. But as we studied the scriptures, scripture says that children are a blessing and a gift and a reward. And it says if you're following the Lord, he'll, you know, a lot of times give you children, not all the time, but, but, uh, 
Well, they're but a blessing, aren't they? They are yeah. a blessing. And so our heart was, after that, was, you know, Lord, we just want to give you this area of our life. And we just want to receive as many children as you want to give us. Did you imagine 19 at that point? We had no idea. You know, we <laughs> thought we might end up having four or five if we gave them this area of our life to the Lord. But we were uh, we were shocked to find out a few months later that uh, Michelle was pregnant again. And, and then she started measuring a little larger than normal and found out she was expecting twins. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, God gave us a double blessing there. Yeah. And, and then he gave us another one and another one and another one. It wasn't too long till we thought, hey, what have we done? We've got so many children and, uh, we had like seven or eight children and we were, we were overwhelmed. Well, we well, were, how did your, your in-laws, how did your family, your parents feel about all that? You know, it's interesting when you, when you have your first child, People are so excited. Mm. And then when you have your second child, people are equally excited. But when you have your third child, people start questioning your judgment. Your sanity. And, yeah. And they say, <laughs> you know, don't you know what causes this? Uh, you know, the people, when you have four or five people start saying, they come up to you and say, are you Catholic? Are you Mormon? Uh, you know, they, anyway, they make all kinds of comments. And then your family thinks and close friends think they almost need to save you from yourself because they yeah. think you're making poor decisions. Mm-hmm. And so every time you have mm-hmm. a child, they're they're increasing their uh, just their attitude towards you, trying to save you from yourself. So you feel the pressure of that. You do. Yeah. You so, do. So so most people would say, and especially Christians would say, yeah, I agree. Children are a blessing, but do they put limits on that? Why why do people think like that? And why weren't you and Michelle thinking the same way? Yeah. So. We d- did have that mindset before, but when we gave this area of our life to the Lord, we just felt like, God, we want to put this in your hands. We've had this in our hands. We messed it up. And so, uh, but, but then when we, we got up in, in about seven or eight, we really started re-questioning this. I was say, didn't you start panicking at about that point? Yeah, we, we, we started questioning. You can't how many years of childbearing <laughs> you've got left in the yeah, life you Yeah, Lord, we've got all these children, and Michelle could have them like, about every 18 months, she'd be pregnant for nine months, and then she'd be off for nine months and another one. And so we thought, uh, we thought, you know, she can even get pregnant while she's nursing a baby. Yeah. And so we thought... And then there's health questions. Yeah, health that? questions. Is this something that's healthy for her? And, and you've got to and, pay the bills. Yes, and then feeding them all and clothing them all and all this. But it was amazing how just step by step, uh, it seemed like every time we had another child, I would start a new business or do another business venture, just trying to keep her head above water. But God blessed all those things. Now, can I just cut in there about business? Because you weren't employed then. You were actually doing various enterprises of your own, were you? You've been business-minded. Right. I had worked at a grocery store for five years through high school, and then when we first got married, and it was actually when Michelle got pregnant with our first child, I quit working at that grocery store and uh, started our own business. I had a a small towing business and a little car business. I was buying and selling cars and uh, also had my real estate license. It was just doing whatever we could to, to make a living. But God blessed that business and it kind of took off and uh, and it was enough to provide for a family. Of course, we were living at a little house that was on a highway and we had our business there. We had our house there, uh, shop and and just trying to keep our overhead low. But, uh, but it was about that time... Uh, we also went through Jim Salmon's Financial Freedom Seminar. Yeah. And uh, people can find that at embassymedia.com. Uh, .org. And .org. Okay. 
mbcmedia.org, and it is it's life changing. We went through this financial freedom seminar, and it really encourages. We purpose to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And a lot of people ask us, how in the world can you raise a family in today's world without debt? And my question is, how can you raise a family in this world with debt? Yeah. Because that interest will eat you alive. Penalty, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we we really decided to like buy used and save the difference. My wife's always bought our, most of the clothes for the kids at thrift stores. And, uh, you know, we bought sometimes even used furniture. We've always bought used cars, never bought a new car. And it's amazing how God has just always provided for our needs. Uh, we never had an overabundance, but we had at least just enough. And uh, every time God gave us another child, God provided. Can I cut in with a question here? You're indicating that at around about maybe seven or eight children or something, there was a kind of a bit of a reality check here. Are we doing the right yes. thing? How did you resolve that question? Well, it was there for quite a while. I mean, Michelle and I were doing everything, um, you know, just changing all the diapers and then putting them all in car seats and, you know, getting all the groceries and all this. And, of course, we did have my mom help some and Michelle's mom help some. But when the kids started getting a little bit older and they were able to help, uh, you know, just they do a little odds and load yeah, help, yeah. help kind of clean the house and do some things like that, it actually started becoming easier. Mm. And so, matter of fact, having like eight or nine children was easier than having five children. That's right. That's what I tell a lot of families, young, young dads who have got three or four under five. I tell them, look... If you, if you train them up well when they're young and get them involved in doing the work around the place and, and we learnt the buddy system from you and implemented that, if you do that, then it actually gets it actually gets easier. Yeah, it does get easier. And so, in fact, it's easier now with, with 19, plus we have my nephew Tyler with us, so we have 20. Uh, it's easier with 20 than it was back when we had five. Mm. And so because everybody works as a team and we've got older ones and younger ones together. Uh, but so we... We've heard it said, you know, don't question in the darkness what you, uh, what is it, committed to in the light, in the light or something yeah. like that. And so, you know what, we just, Michelle and I just recommitted ourselves to to the original plan that we had, that we felt like, you know what, we've committed this to the Lord, this area to the Lord, and Lord, we just want to receive the blessings that you have for us. And so we kept going. And you, I'm, I'm sorry I'm interrupting all the time, but... You are interrupting a lot. I am a lot. It's it's my night for interrupting (laughs) tonight. Um, The issue, I I like the word resolve because it sounds like what you did, you stuck by you, the resolve you'd already made. Yes. But I guess there was an element of faith in that. Did you feel that it was a faith journey? We definitely felt like it was a faith journey. And we saw God provide for us every step of the way. And we saw so many supernatural things happen. And in provision, in uh, just meeting our needs. And at, at the same time, we were had purpose out of debt and we, we got completely out of debt. We were in the process of saving up. We saved up for seven years and then paid cash for our first house, uh, debt-free. And then it needed we needed to work on it for about a year to make it livable. Uh, but then after we had the house paid for, we uh, started, kept saving, and we saved up and, and purchased our first commercial rental property. And then we started having some income coming in uh, while we're sleeping and got our second piece of property and then the third. And it's amazing 
as that started working out and getting that extra income, it God used that to provide for a family and doing it all debt free. Now, this leaves you with a wife who's exhausted, who's stressed, who's being stretched, who's solving problems if she's not changing diapers. And when she's not changing diapers, you are. Right, yes. Um, How did you cope with those sort of pressures? I mean, how did you actually maintain your sanity? How did you maintain your marriage when you were just simply busy all the time? You know, I think we just clung to God, clung to each other. And I remember Elizabeth Elliot, um, who was a a famous uh, writer, she had told her daughter, who had several children one time, her daughter had had all the, several kids and her daughter said one time hey that she was overwhelmed and she was asking her mom for advice and her mom said just do the next right thing and that's really what you have to do is you just have to kind of prioritize just do the most important things and some things may fall by the wayside but uh, what we've learned is actually trying to keep up with the hearts of our children is probably the number one thing that we can do and so sometimes I'd walk in and the house would be clean other times I'd walk in and, you know, the house would be a mess and there'd be stuff everywhere. And I'd say, Michelle, how's it going? And, and she'd say, well, you know, we had uh, a big mess. You know, one of the kids spilled something, made a big mess. And then you had this happen and that happened. And I feel like as, as, as husbands, what we need to do is be very sensitive to our wives. Mm-hmm. And we need to be... Don't walk in expectations that oh the house is supposed to be yeah, clean, getting upset or whatever. But know. we need to we need to be uh, just emotional support for them, telling them we love them. We need to figure out ways to show them that we we cherish them, and uh, and so as a father, I mean I try to help clean up, pick up, uh, do what I can. Hey, let's take the kids out and go ride bikes. Let's go to the park. Um, you know, living with a bunch of kids on a limited budget, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that are very affordable. And a lot of times we'd go over to a nearby church and we'd ride bikes and go for walks and talk. And and anyway, some of those even very inexpensive things to do are some of the best memories that we have. And often the most effective things you can do. Yes, yeah. Susan and I used to be asked when we had just five children, uh, what it was like, and we said, well, the first child changes your life completely, and the second child, you work a lot harder, and we would jokingly say, the third child, you don't really notice, because you can't go any faster than you're already going anyway, you just <laughs> have right. to fit it in somehow, but obviously then you just got good at fitting things in. You know, I just look back, it's the grace of God that we made it through, uh, and we're still making it through, we still have, our youngest is eight right now, it's Josie, and the oldest is getting ready to turn 30. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs in life, but God has been faithful to get us through. And I think about back when, uh, matter of fact, Michelle was pregnant with our number, our 19th child, and uh, she was having some pains in her back, and we thought she'd had some kidney stones before, and so we thought that's probably what it was. So we went to the doctor. She was about 25 weeks along gestation, and... The doctor announced to us after doing some tests that Michelle had a gallbladder problem, but that wasn't the worst problem she had. She had preeclampsia, which means the solution for that was to deliver the baby. And here she's 25 weeks along. They end up airbacking her to three hours away to Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was a very traumatic situation. Um, 
but even through that, our whole family moved to Little Rock. We stayed there. Michelle ended up delivering uh, Josie at 25 and a half weeks gestation. Josie was uh, weighed one pound, six ounces when she was born. She was just a little tiny micro preemie. Um, and the doctors did an incredible job. We just thank God that she made it through that. Josie was in the hospital for six months. But to see her today... Uh, and I she, think you said four months before you could even touch her. Is that right? Yeah, it was like 40 days before 40 we days. could even touch her. And and we couldn't even hold her, though, for yeah for several months. And uh, But yet God got us through that. We pulled together as a family. And all these ups and downs as a family really have just pulled together. And God's gotten us through. And we praise Him and thank Him for that. You mentioned about one of the most important things being really keeping an eye on monitoring the heart of the child. I wouldn't be surprised if the average Western dad hadn't even crossed their mind to even think about that. So how... What does that even mean? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. In practical terms. Yes. I think it's important for us as dads, first off, to do an evaluation on our own life. And to ask ourselves, you know, what things in our life do we need to change? What things do we need to leave out of our life? Uh, are the things we need to confess and get right with God first? And uh, and so that's that's the first stop. And then ask ourselves too: Have we had uh, an anger problem? Because most dads do, and that's something I think almost every dad struggles with that. And I remember one time I. Uh, just an example, I walked into the garage and there was my two oldest boys spray painting the floor. <laughs> we just got some cans off the shelf and just going, just having a big time spray painting the floor. What age were they then? And about? I don't know, they probably were maybe seven and okay. nine mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, and so I blew up and, and got upset and, uh, and, and I realized after I did that, that you know what? my relationship with my sons is more important than even that garage floor or yeah. whatever. And so I had to go back and apologize. And in different times, uh, during that, during that time frame, I would, I would stay calm most of the time, but once in a while I would blow up and we went to a homeschool conference, uh, one year and a father was talking about, uh, how he had had an anger problem. And he had said that, uh, his little daughter came up to him one day and said, uh, daddy, would you, would you please pray about your anger problem? And he said it just wow. smote him. It just yeah. it just melted his heart, and he just realized it was evident to his whole family. And he knew he was he was damaging his relationship with his wife and his children, and so he said he went and first off asked God to forgive him, and then he asked God to help him, and then he went back to his family and asked them to forgive him, but then he went another step farther that I think a lot of us tend to not do. He asked his family to help hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, children, if y'all see me uh, raising my voice, talking with harsh words, or, or just you know, kind of an angry spirit, he said, I'm going to give you permission to come up to me and to put your hand on my arm and say, hey, Daddy, I think you're kind of getting angry. And, uh, and so I gave that permission to my children to do that. And you know, several times after that, they come up and say, hey, Dad, I think you're kind of getting angry. And I'd say, no, I'm not. I'm just frustrated. Or I'm just, you know, I try to make an excuse. And I'd say, no, you're right. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, guys, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I didn't handle that situation right. And yes, our child may do something wrong, but we're teaching them how to respond by our response. And so 
you know, we can take our children to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, try to teach them all the time what's right and wrong. But if we're blowing up with anger, we're going to build a wall between us and our children. And it's so destructive or between us and our spouse. And so there's several um, good materials out there about this. I think at, at that embassy uh, media.org, they've got uh, several messages from SM Davis about anger. And then also SM Davis has another website that's called Solve it's called solvefamilyproblems.com and we've gotten a lot of his resources he has a whole uh, series about anger the destroyer and he also has some a series about how expectations run relationships and that's a very powerful powerful message mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of times us as dads we have a tendency to be perfectionist and we will have like our expectations up high and then reality is down low, and really in between is frustration. And if what we really need to do as fathers is give our expectations to God, and then it doesn't mean that we don't want our children to turn out excellent, but what, the way to achieve that instead of having these high expectations and, and being angry, it's really to go and to praise our children 10 times more than we correct them. And that's really a key uh, and not just praise them about, oh, you've got beautiful eyes or beautiful hair about things that they are really aren't responsible for, but to praise them about their character and about, uh, you know, hey, uh, John, thank you for taking the trash out. You really had a lot of initiative doing that on your own without even being asked. Uh, or, Joseph, thank you for going and doing the dishes last night without even being asked. That, uh, that just shows you're really diligent and and I appreciate your character. And the more we praise our children's character, the more character they develop because they want to be praised. Mm. And so that's really one of the keys to parenting. And we don't, I want to be the first to say we don't have a perfect family. We've, everybody in the world knows we've had issues and problems. But as we, each one as parents, seek a close relationship with God and encourage our children that way and get them around right friends, uh, a good solid church uh, and teach them God's word it's amazing what God does well can I pick up then the question we were looking at a bit earlier is looking at and guarding and keeping the heart of your child you've talked about the first step being really being aware of your own heart what are the indicators that you would expect to see in a child that would warn you that you need to be reaching better into their heart good question well, I tell you what, Michelle and I have talked about this quite a bit over the years. And if you see a, a child that is just starting to have a little bit of an attitude or starting to not be, you know, like instantly kind of, you know, jumping to do things and help out, not really having a cheerful attitude, uh, it's good just to take them aside and say, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? And we always try to try to talk to the children privately about stuff like this, but just ask them, uh, hey, is there is there anything going on in your life? Is there anything that uh, you're struggling with? And and the children need to know that they have a safe place to share their heart and that mom and dad aren't going to go and use whatever they say at the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Oh, pray, pray, please pray for little Freddie. He's got all these problems, you know, because if we do that, we will destroy our trust in the child or the, or the child's trust in us 
and they won't want to open up anymore. And so I'd imagine too that some parents would think, oh, if that's your problem, I've got the solution, and then want to download some kind of lecture. I presume you wouldn't be recommending that. No, I think we normally have have tried to, you know, if a child's having a struggle in one area or whatever, we try to, you know, pray with them and, and give them hopefully a scriptural pointers from our perspective of things that that have helped us. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, uh, it's just there is a way of escape for almost, for, well, for every temptation or for every struggle. And we really believe one of those ways of escape is for young people to be able to openly talk to their parents and to share their struggles. And when they do that and have that accountability, uh, that really helps them to take some steps to overcome whatever they're struggling with. You know, Guy, I think if you're a father of 19 children, you're not only a husband and you're not only a parent, you're basically a pastor of a small congregation. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good point, yeah. Um, it's, it is a challenge every day, but you know, it's just, it causes us to seek the Lord more. And uh, Sean and I feel inadequate. We feel like uh, God, many times we're, we feel like we're over our head but yet God gets us through. One of the things that you talked to me about, or you spoke to all of us about here, is about the pyramid concept. And that's something I hadn't heard before. Um, and could you explain that to us? Because I thought that was really powerful. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, on our first date uh, with Michelle and I, I explained to her the triangle principle, where you have God at the top of the triangle, and you have the guy on one side and the girl on the other side. And... If you picture the triangle, the closer that two people get to God, the closer they get to each other. Or the farther away they get from God, the farther away they get from each other. And that really, that principle works in a marriage relationship, in a family, and in a friend relationship. And so I think a true friend is someone who really points you to Jesus. And I think of my my new son-in-law, that uh, he tells his testimony of how when he was about 15, he, that was a time when he had had some friends that really weren't that great of friends. They weren't really pointing to Jesus. And he uh, went to a Christian conference and ended up recommitting his life to the Lord. And he came back from that conference and he said, he, told, he had four friends, and he told his four friends, he said, uh, I have recommitted my life to the Lord, and the only way that I can spend time with you is if you commit your life to the Lord. Well, three of those friends just blew him off, thought he was crazy, and they went off on their own way. But the one friend uh, who had had a lot of struggles before, his parents were divorced and different things, he said, you know what, I do need to commit my life to the Lord. And he did. And those guys became best friends. And they were like iron sharpening iron. Uh, his, His friend ended up marrying his sister when it was all said and done. And then Austin ended up marrying my daughter, Joy. And so it's an amazing testimony. And that's really true friendship is when we are trying to disciple others. In fact, Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go out and make friends. He said, go out and make disciples. Hmm. And one of the things that strikes me about that, about that concept, that pyramid concept, is that you know, one of the things that motivates us is vision, right? What do we want to achieve in the future? What do we want our life to mean? What do we want to look back on 
and have that sense of achievement for. So what is the thing that we're working towards? And it seems to me that when we've got a husband and wife who have their own vision and they're not aligned, they're separate visions, then of course they're going to be moving apart. And if they're being forced to move together, then sooner or later that's going to break down. And if you're both, if you're both focused on God and what he is saying about, about your future and about the, the plans that he has for you, then they're going to be in sync. And so you're both going to be working towards that, that same point, aren't you? Is that what you that's found? Exa- that's exactly future? right. That's exactly right. And, and I've thought about it, even when Michelle and I got married, we got, pretty, we got married pretty young. She was 17, I was 19. But we both had a heart for the Lord. And really, you wonder, when should a couple get married? It's really when, they, when two people can do more for the Lord together than they can apart. And that's really kind of, I think, what the Lord would have people to, you know, when, they, when they're supposed to get married, you know. And uh, as long as they can support themselves and, and serve the Lord together. So if we, if we could summarize, what are, your five, what are your five tips, main tips for maybe there's some of the things you've already said. Maybe there's some things that we haven't brought into this, this show so far. What are the five things you want to leave fathers, husbands with to go away and to pray about and to think about that they can implement in their lives that would really set them on the right track? Well, I think number one would be your personal relationship with Jesus yourself to make sure that there's no secret sin. And I encourage husbands to go, and if they've got secret sin, to go and to humble themselves and go and apologize to their wife and share that with them. I know that then you may even have to have somebody else there with you, but to go and to make those things right. And it's, it's very humbling, but, uh, Michelle and I both are, are each other's accountability partners. And that's been a wonderful thing. And then that has transferred also to our children that we're really our children's accountability partners. And then when our children get married, we transfer that accountability over to their future spouse. And when somebody knows everything about you, good or bad, and they still love you, that's the deepest kind of love you can have. Mm. And which is what the love that God has for us. Right? Exactly. Everything about us, everything we've, we've always done, and he still loved yes. us so much to give his own yes. son for us. And then for fathers, we can't afford to be this roller coaster father where today we're up, tomorrow we're down, while we're in depression. Uh, we need to be steady. We need to be a solid rock for a wife, for our children, for our grandchildren and you know in today's world there's so many things to get into uh, for us to get into for our kids to get into grandkids and we need to be someone that points them to Jesus and uh, and that might be the third thing is the Bible says don't make provisions for your flesh uh, to fulfill the lust thereof there's so many things in today's world that can derail us off of the path that God wants us to be on it could be the TV. It could be the internet. It could be uh, just hobbies. You know, I've really early on, I saw these a lot of men that were they'd go out and go. They'd spend hours and days out hunting and fishing and all this stuff away from their families. And I thought, you know, that's that stuff's all fine and good, but I really wanted to have a family focus and make my family my hobby, and to do things together as a family. And even church could be something that can separate families out. You, everybody's involved in different ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, we decided we really wanted to do things together to minister as a family. And, uh, and so 
we'd go to church and we'd be in the Sunday school class together and we would uh, serve uh, the senior citizens and, and other people. And it's a joy serving together. And uh, let's see, other tips for your relationship to your wife. Um, honor her, cherish her, and never let the sun go down on your wrath. That means if there's been a disagreement or something that's happened, make sure that you make it right as quick as you can the day that it happens. And it's, it's not something we should go and just say, sorry, it should be something we go to our spouse and humble ourselves and say, hey, I was wrong earlier when I said this or that and uh, or did this or that, whatever. Will you please forgive me? And, and for our kids to see, you know what? Dad humbles himself and apologizes. And then that teaches them how to do that. And that really teaches them how to resolve conflicts with each other. And then... Uh, one of the basic fundamentals of Christianity is also not only asking God to forgive us for what we've done wrong, asking other people to forgive us for what we've done wrong, but it's also forgiving other people who have wronged us even before they ask. And I can think back a few times where people have hurt me in my life, and I've learned that I need to immediately say, God, I choose to forgive that person no matter what it is. And Jesus set the example on the cross. Here these people had nailed him to the cross. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They did all this mean stuff to him. They whipped him. They beat him. And he could have instantly killed them all. But instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if Jesus can forgive people for crucifying him, before they were before even they sorry, ask, before they were even sorry, then we should forgive other people even before they ask. And that's really Christ's kind of love. Mm -hmm. And if you can take that dynamic into a family, mm -hmm. you can have a family that's close, that loves each other, that serves together. And uh, and then having uh, Bible time, we try to have Bible time every day. Some days we're gone or whatever, it doesn't work out. But that's the goal, is to teach the children a love for God's Word. And a good place to start is to read the chapter in Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the month. And so like on the 15th day of whatever, read chapter Proverbs 15. And instead of just reading through it real fast, it's really important to like read a few verses and pick out one that's, that really stands out and teach your kids how that practically applies to everyday life. And maybe an illustration that happened that day or someone or maybe something you know you read of some story or something. How it applies and get the kids to understand not just the Bible is something that's we read at church but it's something that every day we need to use it to filter all of life situations through God's Word. Now let me just say to our listeners uh, Jim Bob's just served up a whole platter of things to follow on so probably you need to listen to this podcast several times and and capture that but uh, Guy and, and I had the privilege of, of having a sharing a barbecue evening meal with Jim, Bob, and Michelle and their children. And the children bear out the fruitfulness of the very things that Jim, Bob's talking about, don't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, um, you know, they are just such a delight to, to interact with. They are just uh, they're so mature for, you know, sometimes you wonder, I'm talking to someone who's, who's, who's 16, 17, 18 years old, 
and uh, they've got uh, an incredible maturity and a real interest in, in talking to you and interest in what in what's going on in your life. And, and they're all individuals too. They're quite different. Oh, they're all very diverse. Some of them are quiet. Some of them are a talkative, a real chatty, <laughs> chatty like you, Chris. Yeah, yeah. And it's such been a, such a delight to get to know them. So yeah. very genuine. And um, Jim Bob and Michelle and their kids. There are f- there are a few people in the world that you know that that. Um, you genuinely feel much better having met them and having having spent some time with them who have uplifted your spirit. So, oh, that's I hope very kind. Well, I, thank you. I hope those of you who are listening have uh, have have sensed that and experienced that with uh, being here with us. And Jim Bob, thank you so much for being on the show. We we do appreciate that. Well, thank you guys. I, I remember Guy driving over to your house and Michelle was praying. She said, "Lord, I pray we can see a kangaroo tonight." And we got to your house, and you served kangaroo for supper that night. It was so delicious. <laughs> Our Lord has a sense of humor. And it tasted great. I couldn't believe it. It's the first time I had kangaroo. <laughs> All right. If, you ha- if you're not in Australia listening to this, then get over here and try some kangaroo, kangaroo. steak. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening in, and Jim Bob for being so kind. And, of course, people can catch your, your video programs on YouTube. And, and, what, and what are your websites? What, yes. And uh, our website is duggarfamily.com. And then also you can tune into TLC uh, for the new show is called Counting On. Mm-hmm. And the old shows, which you can watch on the other uh, formats of 19 Kids and Counting, or the first show goes back to 14 children and pregnant again. And it goes around 200 countries, you said. Yeah, 200 countries around the world, and there's probably 250 shows or something we've done over the last 14 years. Yeah. Well, we just praise God for the opportunity that you have to touch people around the world and for the privilege of meeting you and interviewing you. So, Jim, Bob, thank you so very much. And don't forget to come over to our website as well, www.realmen247.org, and we would love to have some feedback from you as to um, what you got out of this show. Jim, Bob, I'm sure would love to hear what it was that spoke to you. So please get in touch, and until next time, bye-bye. It's time to go. See you then. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.